0: All right, well, let's go ahead and get started, if I can keep from tripping over numerous cords um, and wires. So, good morning. Um, I am Dr. Sherry O'Donnell. I'm from Michigan, and I sound like there's a lot of feedback on the mics. Can you guys hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anyway, i from Michigan, and this is probably my ninth conference here. Last year, I did not come down. I felt like in January that I wasn't supposed to do that as I prayed about it. And it's like, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. I've been there for every year since. He knew because in November, that exact weekend of last year, a very good friend of mine had uh, two knee bilateral knee surgery and replacements, and she came and recuperated in my home. So I missed last year, and I did miss last year. But let me tell you a little bit about my background before we actually get started in 1999, when I graduated from my residency, I was very, very idealistic and knew that God had equipped me after i just got through with my residency and I was ready to go conquer the world. Okay? Knew that I'm called to medical missions, but not as a career-time missionary, but as a short-term missionary. And to date, I've been to 29 different countries. But when I got out, man, I was ready to go evangelize the world, get my patients saved, and get them healed. But suddenly the realities of practice sucked me in. And it's like, wait a minute. I've got 15 minutes with a patient, and I'm supposed to find out their history, find out what problem I have. I don't have time to go and look at Harrison's and make sure that I have the right diagnosis. And I'm supposed to minister to them in 15 minutes? Hello? That wasn't happening. So very frustrated, I was talking to Dan Fountain, who's a speaker here also. We were friends in Michigan. And I said, Dan, this is crazy. I'm praying patients Cancel. And I know administration doesn't want me to pray that patients cancel because it doesn't do very good for your revenue. So I don't know how to do this. And he shared with me a concept that they did in the Congo. And I jumped all the way. said, wait a second, why can't we do that here? Why can't we have a team approach here where I'm not trying to do it all? You know, in, in the Old Testament, they went to Jethro, and, and I mean, Jethro's father went to Moses, and what you're doing is not good. And he was trying to do it all. And I realized that's what I was trying to do. So anyway, we implemented a team approach called Christian Support Ministry. And good morning. And it has been life-changing, not only for my practice, but life-changing for my patients. And as I've continued to go overseas, life-changing for the people that I see overseas also. So what you're going to hear this morning is truly, as some of you still in school, um, graduated, still trying to figure out how to merge medicine and ministry, you're going to hear an opportunity and a way in which you can do it. And yes, you still have the constraints of time, and yes, you still have the constraints of medicine and how it is in the United States right now, but you can do this. And I'm going to share some stories with you of what have absolutely changed my patients' lives. Because my whole premise of practice in Michigan is we are triune beings. And sometimes I simply explain that to the patients. We're like a three-legged stool. And if you cut one of those legs short... It is not going to balance. But on each rung of those legs is emotional, spiritual, and physical. And what affects us spiritually does affect us emotionally and physically. What affects us emotionally affects us physically. Okay? Simple case in point how many of you ever had a stress headache? What's the etiology of that? Stress. Would you put stress as a physical problem or is it more an emotional, spiritual problem? That's right, but it's got manifestations physically. So, what you're going to hear today is things that I, and ways in which, and I think diseases that are tied into emotional and spiritual issues. And, you know, if you're looking for a DSM 3R code and diagnoses, it's oftentimes in the spiritual realm. Okay? And they don't have a DSM 4 code as such and diagnoses as such. But you've got to, what I want to do this morning as we go into this is really start to broaden your vision and say, wait a second. What's going on? This abdominal pain may not be gallbladder. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. And, Lord, I thank you for this conference. Father, I thank you for those that are in attendance. And, Lord, I know we only have an hour. But, Father, I pray that you would speak through me. That, Lord God, that you would open our ears and that each person here would hear what you have them to hear. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you be the teacher and that you are our teacher. Lord, we just commit this time to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, really, what I titled this morning is Redefining Healthcare as Care to the Whole Person. But to redefine something obviously means that once upon a time it was defined, or there is no redefinition. So, how was healthcare or how is healthcare defined? Well, it depends upon who you ask. If you ask the White House, it's a craziness. If you ask a Christian physician or a Christian healthcare person, it's very different. Is our system currently broken? Does it need redefining? Is Obamacare the answer? Lord, I hope not. Is there or should there be a difference in how Christians practice medicine? How do you reflect the image of Christ to your patients and your colleagues? Jesus was the great physician. And does that impact the way that you practice medicine? Is it impacting the health of the patients that you see? See, in ancient times, illness was thought to be primarily spiritual. And it was the priest that took care of the healing, and faith and healing were together. The temple also was a place of healing. They didn't go to the medical clinic, they went to the temple. With the rise of science, what's happened is faith and science became very separated. As it became separated, religion and healing also became individual disciplines. And the priest takes care of the spiritual aspect and the physicians take care of the uh, healing aspects. Faith is now spiritual. How many of you have ever heard that you can't minister a witness to your patients because that's private or because you're using your leverage as a healthcare practitioner? It's unethical. Right? How many of you ever heard that as excuses? Well, that's exactly what it is. It's an excuse. In nine, no, seven years ago, when the hospital at, at our local hospital was um, inspected by JACO, which is the governing body of what Joint Commission Accreditation for Hospitals. Okay? One of the citations actually, or commendations that the hospital got was that there was lack of spiritual assessment by the physicians, okay? So it's not unethical if is looking for it and actually grading the hospital on it. So the next time you hear that, say, you know what, that's one of the mandates that Jayco has in place right now. Did you know that? Okay, so that can no longer, should no longer be an excuse, okay? Medicine is secular, practical, and personal, and scientific. The world is just now recognizing the interconnectedness between emotional and physical realms, but they still make little room for spiritual realm. Not long ago, I was contacted by you know, one of these um, conferences that were dealing with care for the whole person, how the emotional aspects affect the physical being. And I thought, wait a second, that's only two-thirds of the wholeness of who we are. But the secular community is realizing that there is an interconnectedness. And right now, all over, if you listen to the medical literature and read the medical literature, it's saying care for the whole person. I think from a non-Christian aspect, they don't understand caring for the whole person as we do. So the biomedical model of healing, what's wrong with this present model? Anybody, how is it broken? It reduces people to diagnoses and and not a whole person. You said something else, but diagnoses and disease. That's exactly right. Okay? I don't know how many times I've heard as I'm making hospital rounds, oh the gallbladder in room two thirty two. I would be shocked if I walked in and saw a gallbladder laying in bed. Okay? People are reduced to disease. What else is wrong with the system? It is focused on disease. It's focused on the cure of the disease, and it's focused on physical health. It's not focused on the person who is ill. It's not on restoration of the sick person to health. And we're going to find the difference this morning between restoring and cure, or healing and cure. It neglects the emotional, social, spiritual health of the sick person. I made mention that if you guys want a handout, um, the conference didn't make the handout, but I do have a handout. Or if you want me to send slides at some point, you can email me. As a matter of fact, would, if anybody's got an extra piece of paper, send, send out um, something you guys can put your emails or put your contact numbers, in, and you guys can grab one of these. Thank you, Judy. But the, the focus isn't on... Healing the whole person. We are trying beings, as I started saying, we're created in God's image. We have body, soul, and spirit. And too often, like I said, none of those are treated in a whole care person sense, and none are treated simultaneously in the office. So, what that does then is cause a disintegration of the health care. We were created in His image. Right, as a triumphant being. So what is his image? If we're created in that image, that's what we should look like. Right? So what was his image that we should be reflecting? His image is one of health and wholeness. Has the Lord ever been ill? Obviously not. If the Lord's never been ill, doesn't that speak to the fact that we ought to be able to walk in health and that that's God's best for us, is to walk in health, and as it is, so it is for our patients? His image is one of satisfaction and contentment. I don't think the Lord was ever discontented. And yet we hear that every day in our practices, that patients that are just broken aren't content. There's something else wrong in their life. And oftentimes it affects their health. His image is one of joy, love, glory. If you look at John 17, the prayer between he and the Father, and he said, you know, that these disciples, I mean, these disciples, Disciples that you gave to me, we are one, and the Father has given you to me. And it was total joy and love and glory. That's His image. And yet, you know, I was just talking to Dan Fountain this morning, and too often as Christians, we're not walking in that. Now you see Christians that are downcast, and Christians that are not carrying the glory of God. And you know, if a non-Christian were looking at your life, is that one that they want to be excited about and join you in, or do they say, "Whoa"? If that's what Christianity is bringing you, no thank you. We should be reflecting his image. So should the patients in our practices, especially as believers. If they're not believers, then we have a neat opportunity to lead them to Christ, that they can walk in that. His image is one of relationship and healthy relationships. Our relationships all around us are broken. That is impacting our health. So God completed his work, then told us, To go and do likewise. By his life he gave us the example. By his death he gave life and health. 1 Peter 2.24 By his stripes we were healed. So if we were healed, that healing is available to us. That healing is available through us to our patients. He admonished us to go and do likewise, but oftentimes we don't because of the constraints of time, the constraints of, gee, what are people going to think of us, your intimidation, or whatever the case is, we don't go and do likewise. Hence the brokenness we see in the world around us and the people we care for every day in medicine. People are broken, but he's still working and interceding on our behalf. Humanity does not follow his example. Which results then in life's most painful areas. Who are the patients you see? Whether it be in the offices, whether it be in the, in the hospital floors, whether it be overseas. What about the abandoned or abused child? Okay. Sometimes there are adult children that had been abused and they're still broken. A cold faith. They've just been burned out. A destroyed marriage. 60% of marriages right now, Christian and non-Christian, both are ending in divorce. Broken marriage, a job hopper, especially in the recession right now, an unevangelized and hurting world. But, ladies and gentlemen, they're there. We have the opportunity to impact them at an impasse and bring Christ to them. All of these things lead to sickness and disease, and that's why we're in the healthcare profession to bring wholeness. So what happens in the body, soul, and spirit? Let's look at some of the diseases that are in our offices and that we see. Hypertension, heart disease, chronic pain, inflammation, autoimmune disorders, digestive problems, diabetes, malignancies, and many infections. What about the soul issues? Fear, worries, anxiety. Does any of that lead to the hypertension? Does any of that lead to chronic pain? Anger, bitterness, resentment... Hostility, shame, guilt, jealousy, envy, grief, the list can go on and on. What about spiritual issues? Lack of identity, meaninglessness, poor self-image, depression. My gosh, I've often said I think Prozac got to be in the drinking water. Why does everybody, I mean, you turn everywhere and everybody thinks that they need an antidepressant. A sense of rejection. That simple loneliness. I want to tell you a story right now of a young lady that I saw two weeks ago. You talk about brokenness, but the opportunity to bring healing to her. Her birthday was November the 2nd. She had just turned 16 years old. Her mom called me the week before and said, Dr. Sherry, I need your help. I just found out that Melissa has been sexually active, and I'm scared spitless. She's scared, and I don't know what to do, but I want her checked. I want her checked for all the STDs, and she needs a first annual exam, obviously. Her mom was obviously very broken, but in comes this young lady, just turned 16. Okay. She's of a Catholic background, and she's sitting there in my office, and I said, So, tell me what happened. Tell me what you're here for. And she said, Well, she said, I'm here for my exam wasn't looking at me, and I said, Melissa, can you tell me what happened? And she said, well, she was with James, and James really kind of led her to believe that if she really cared about him, that she would go ahead and have sex with him. And they'd been dating a couple months, and the relationship was getting closer, and then they really decided they really weren't dating, but she still really wanted to be really special to James. So she went ahead and lost her virginity and had sex with James. And then James kind of was through with her. She was kind of devastated, but didn't feel like she could talk to anybody. Certainly couldn't tell her parents that she'd lost her virginity, that she'd had sex. So she shortly got into another relationship, and not long, she had sex again with Derek, because after all, she lost her virginity, so why bother? And a couple months later, she was in another relationship and had sex with the third person. About the time that James broke up with her, she started having abdominal pain. Very significant abdominal pain. Her mom first brought her to her pediatrician, and they looked at some things and put her on Dexalant. Didn't do anything. But there she sat in my office. Now, where do you think the etiology of that abdominal pain, lie? It wasn't. She didn't have H. pylori, which they tested for. She didn't have gastritis, which they initially told her. She was suffering from guilt, shame, Loss of identity. She wanted to be special to James. Loss of identity. And here she sits in my office. And she, of course, was crying during that time. And I said, Melissa, I said, have you asked God for forgiveness? And she said, I went to confession Friday. And I said, okay, here, let me read you something. And I grabbed my Bible and I read First John one nine. And I said, what does that say to you? Well, that he cleansed me. Okay, if he's cleansed you, is there anything to be ashamed of? And has he forgiven you? Yes. For by this, I said, have you forgiven yourself? mine oh, comes the tears. And she said, I don't think my family even likes me anymore. Okay. The opportunity, and for brevity's sake, I won't go into all that was shared, but I had the opportunity to really lead this young lady to Christ. She invited Christ into her heart. And I said, you know what? Right now, you stand pure before God. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. I said, Do you know what that means? That means you're a recycled virgin. You're pure again. On comes the tears. Okay? And she just got up. She said, I don't know what to say but to thank you. And she threw her arms around me. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you. During this time that she was in my office, her, and she had her physical exam, during this time that she was in my, my exam room, her mom was receiving ministry by the lay minister, And that's what the Christian sport ministry is. It's volunteers. And those volunteers were there. I said a team approach. The volunteers were there to minister to her mom, who was also broken by this. Their lives were just shattered by this. A strong Catholic family, and how could they do this? So the lay ministers were ministering to mom. When I got through with Melissa, I was able to bring her into the lay ministry, and the lay minister was able then to take over and continue to minister to her, minister to her what did it actually mean now that she's born again, and really again affirm to her that she was now whole and restored. There was no reason to carry that shame. Okay. Said so this happened two weeks ago. She's come back into my office for a recheck. And you know what happened to that abdominal pain? Gone. She's not had any abdominal pain since the day that she was introduced to the ultimate one that forgive all our sins. That's what caring for the whole person is. I could continue to do what the pediatrician did and keep her on Dexalon. If Dexalon didn't work, maybe try Previshe. Guys, that wasn't the issue. The issue was an issue of the heart and her brokenness and her shame causing abdominal pain. What happens in one dimension in life affects the other two. The relationship may be cause or effect. Without care for all dimensions, healing and restoration to wholeness does not occur. Do you think that young lady would have come back still with abdominal pain if we didn't minister to that brokenness? Absolutely. And who knows? I probably would have had to do endoscopy or something on her to find out where this abdominal pain was coming. It wasn't a physical problem. But what happens is we have a very disintegrated approach. Our approach is there's medical care at one park, one place here. Whoops, I'm sorry. And as physicians and medical people, we care for that aspect. Psychiatrists and counselors care for the soul. And a pastor cares for the spirit, right? Well, what happens, though, is your patient doesn't walk in with just a physical body. And the spirit of the person doesn't go over to the pastor, and you don't empty out your soul just to the counselor. They come in your office as whole people. And if we're going to offer wholeness and restoration, we've got to minister to all three aspects of their healing and their brokenness. Whole person care. And illness has physical, emotional, and spiritual dimensions. The causes of sickness are multi dimensional. Okay? These young lady had abdominal pain for a couple months. Because her first sexual activity was in February. And when James kind of threw her away because he was done, started the abdominal pain. Therapy, therefore, should involve every dimension with healing as the ultimate goal. Jesus is our model. He preached the good news. He taught the people. He healed those who are sick. And you know what? He told us to go and do the same. He healed The whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Modern medicine doesn't do this. And even Christian medical care, often, you're fine, come on in, just doesn't do this. Let's look at a case study. Okay? We're all in medicine in some aspect. And you're going to see case studies and hear case studies all over. If you've got your Bible, let's look at Mark 5. And I'll tell you as we go into this, this is interactive. So if I don't get some responses, I will pick on you. Mark 5, and beginning in verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. I always swallow hard when I read that guess how many patients are like that in our practice. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I can just touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the multitude here? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around and saw the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The whole truth of 12 years. Sometimes we get a little impatient with our practices and our patients because they want to tell us the story of whole 12 years. But told him the whole story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So let's look at this as a case study. She was a young Jewish female. She'd bled for 12 years. What are some of the symptoms that you think after 12 years of bleeding that she had? What are some of the physical problems? Anemia, anemia. and what does anemia cause? Fatigue? Fatigue. Palpitations. Palpitations, likely. What else? I'm sorry? Lightheadedness. Lightheadedness. Oftentimes, you bet. If they're anemic and weak and been bleeding, you bet. Depression. Depression. Is that a physical sign? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't, right? Okay. But likely depression. Okay. Let's look at hypertension. Oh, hypotension. I was going to say, yeah, bleeding. What about pain? Probable pain. Infertility, right? What does that do in the Jewish culture? No status, okay? Fatigue, anemia, as you said, okay? What were her psychological problems? Grief, anger, you think? Who could she have been anger at, angry at? God. at? God. God. Who else? Doctors. Doctors, right. She's gone to 12 different doctors for 12 years. And who else? ex Ex-husband. Was she divorced? Probably, Probably right? So, yes, yeah, could have very well been. She she had no family, no friends that said that. So, likely divorced. Loneliness. Loneliness. Okay. Who else might she be angry at, though? Herself. Herself. What about society? Society is outcasting, right? In the Jewish culture, you'd have to yell, unclean, as you're going through the streets. So, society. Oh, we're done? They only gave me one sheet. They might have some more downstairs. Okay. What about the sense of rejection? Rejected by everybody. The ex-husband, God, society, low self-esteem. Right? If you're left every- by everybody. Okay. What are her spiritual problems? Cut off from God. Right? Leviticus tells that unclean, she can't come into the temple. Despair said that she lost all hope. It wasn't any better, but was made worse. Lost all hope. Did this cause any social problems? She was Jewish and subject to the Jewish law. Right? Bleeding causes uncleanness. She had been unclean for 12 years. 12 years. Guys, you don't understand this but we as women once a month we don't like that now let's go for 12 years. Hello okay you talk about major PMS? <laughs> Likely she said she was divorced right? Abandoned by her family. no friends, no money it said that she'd spent all that she had. She went to Jesus by herself. Now, imagine that she'd been rejected, She's feeling worthless, absolute despair. She knows that she could be killed. She could be stoned to death by touching Jesus. She made Jesus unclean. And yet she went to him. Why? Because it was the ultimate last-ditch effort. And she thought, if I could just touch his cloak. Totally socially unacceptable was morally wrong. She made Jesus unclean and she literally stole his power. And according to Jewish culture, she should have been condemned and probably stoned. Thank God, though, Jesus did not follow the Jewish culture. He's not bound by culture, nor should we be. Jesus, the one who continues to surprise humanity, exposed her. But why? Why did he expose her? Wasn't she humiliated enough? Oh, she's in a crowd, and through the crowd he said, Hey you woman Woman, you did it. Now what do you think? Word says that she came in fear and trembling. Why would Jesus do that? Over here, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus expose her? He to provide emotional and also. Say that a little loud because you're right on the money. To and also, not just there you go. Okay. He knew that she'd been physically healed, as doctors were pleased when someone's physically healed, but Jesus was not satisfied because the woman herself had not yet been healed. Okay. The bleeding stopped. She knew instantaneously the bleeding stopped. Jesus knew. But listen to what he did in exposing her. And the woman, fear and trembling, aware of what happened in her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Probably in her voice, begging for mercy, expecting the worst. And Jesus answered her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your affliction. Now can't you imagine him taking her face in his hands and saying, My daughter, what power. Suddenly the the anguish of 12 years, the rejection of 12 years, the hopelessness, the despair, melted. Melted in one word. That rhema word that unlocked the anguish of her heart. And as a sister over here said, because he knew and he wanted to heal her emotionally as well as physically, as well as spiritually. In that one moment, she knew that she was restored to Christ himself. Right? She was cut off. Society said she couldn't enter the temple. And that word, my daughter, she was restored to God. What power. What power. But the most amazing thing is that power is available to us as practitioners. When we look for that rhema word that's going to speak to the heart. For Melissa a couple of weeks ago, it was... You are clean. He sees you as clean and restored. You're a recycled virgin. But you're pure again. That suddenly made sense to her. And it unlocked the month's worth of anguish. Sometimes we see years worth of anguish like that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. So not only was he embracing her as his daughter, but what do you think that said to the... Naysayers around that have been heckling her for years. My daughter, your faith. The Master says she has faith. Wow. Wouldn't you just like to go na 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 na? But that's what happened. She was restored in a moment. Go in peace. Peace was restored. Be healed of your affliction. Be healed. That's a little quirky. He just healed her, right? Be healed is a perfect present tense. That means be healed and walk in it. Stay healed. Don't let it be robbed again. Be healed. And that's what we have the opportunity to tell our patients. Be healed. Walk in that. Christ did it. Receive it. Walk in it. How did Jesus heal her? He used physical power. He listened to her story. That's where sometimes we kind of go, okay, okay. You know, when you're trying to get the HPI, you're trying to get the history, of present illness, and you don't have the time. And that's right, oftentimes you don't have the time. But if you listen to at least some, then you'll have the opportunity then to pass that baton on by implementing caring for the whole person in a team approach. But he listened to her story 12 years of it. We need to be patient and listen to our patient's story. He discerned her real problems. Her real problems wasn't the hemorrhaging, that was a problem. The real problem that she needed restoration from was all that other emotional, spiritual trauma and junk of 12 years. And he spoke a healing word. One word. He affirmed her as a person. He healed her as a whole person. We can do the same thing. I want to tell you of a lady that reminds me very much of this. Her name was Maria. And Maria came into my office. She actually had worked in another practitioner's office as a receptionist. But she came into my office, and one of the first things I found out in her history is that she had seen 12 other physicians. She'd even been down and seen a Cleveland Clinic. But she came to me because she heard I was an excellent diagnostician. And she was tired of being given the runaround. She was told she had chronic fatigue. She was told she had lupus. Um, She was told that she had some other autoimmune but basically, chronic fatigue and lupus were the primary working diagnoses, and she wanted to find out once and for all what she had. Okay. Immediately, you know that's going to be a schedule wrecker. First off, right off the back, you know, forget your schedule. Secondly, you know you're going to be in there for a while. Thirdly, you go, I'm the 13th physician that she's seeing? Okay. Anyway, I listen to Marie's story. And on my intake form, underneath the GU portion, it listed that she had an abortion. And I looked at her and said, can you tell me about that? No. Okay. Strike one. Okay. I continued going down. She had three children presently. And I'm taking the rest of the history and review of systems. And she said, why do you ask that? And I said, well, sometimes some of the pains and problems that you're having can be associated with a traumatic event, and most women don't get over an abortion once they've had it. Silence. I'm not getting anywhere. Finally, she looked at me and she said, no one knows this, not even my husband. She said, but 16 years ago, my boyfriend brought me to the abortion clinic, dropped me off, and said, I will have that abortion. And I did. 16 years ago. and I'm so sorry. I said, can you tell me about that now? She said, I think about it every day. I wonder what my child would look like. I wonder if it's a boy or a girl. I sometimes consider the times that I missed pushing him on the swing, but I think about it every day. And I said, have you ever asked God's forgiveness? Every day. Every day. I said, Maria, my Bible says when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I said, and Revelations tells me that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And I said, so do you think God's forgiven you? I don't know. I ask him every day. I said, Maria, you have three children now. I said, if one of your children did something naughty, and they came to you and said, Mommy, I'm sorry. I said, would you forgive them? Well, yes. I said, would you keep punishing them? She said, well, no. I said, well, why wouldn't you? She said, well, because I love them. And I said, okay, if you did keep punishing them, would that be child abuse? She said, well, yes. I said, Maria, God is not a child abuser. Now, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, but God is not a child abuser. You mean God's not doing this to me? No, God's not doing this to you. You mean I'm not sick because God's punishing me? No, God is not punishing you, and that's not why you're sick. She started kind of halfway laughing, halfway crying. She said, you mean God is not doing this to me? I said, no, my Bible tells us that by his stripes we're healed and that he doesn't continue to punish us, but the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And for time's sake, like everybody in their office, I bring her over to the exam table and start to do her exam. She halfway threw, her back, threw herself back on the table, started crying, started laughing, and said, Dr. O'Donnell, if you reweighed me right now, I know I would weigh less. <laughs> and I think she probably weighed 1,000 pounds less. I did the diagnostic workup as any good physician would. When she came back to review her labs, which, as you all know, were absolutely normal, she had not had another day of pain from the day that she was in my office and realized that God was not punishing her. That's power. That's the healing word. That's where we need to be listening. Where are they broken? Listen with one ear to the patient, but listen with the other ear to the Holy Spirit. He'll show you where they're broken because he provides the ultimate salvation. In the Hebrew, Yeshua is something saved, deliverance. That includes prosperity, victory, health, saving health, welfare, as well as our eternal salvation. So from the cross, he obviously presented and provided salvation, but he also provided healing. And he provided both. Modern Christianity emphasizes Jesus as our Savior and our need for salvation. But they do little to the fact that he is our healer and that we need healing. It's a matter of perception and focus. We must get to the place that we recognize the complexity of diseases from a pathophysiological emotional, logical, there's no such word, but emotional, logical, and spiritual, logical point of view. Because there's brokenness in all three aspects. We must choose to listen and look for where we see our patients are broken. I had an attending physician once that said, very, very powerful, very, very profound, although it sounds very simple. We will see what we look for. We will hear what we listen for. Now, in that regard, he was telling me about listening to cardiac murmurs. But he said, we will see what we look for. We will hear what we listen for. it's the same exact thing spiritually. If you're listening and have your spiritual antenna up, you will hear what you listen for. Okay? It's a matter of choice and perception. Take a look at that. It's a choice we must make. And I'm going to ask you, what do you see? Young and beautiful or old and wrinkled? How many of you see the young, beautiful girls in those pictures? How many of you see the old ladies? Are there any that see both? Okay. There's both there, right? It's a matter of how you look at it, okay? Sometimes it's to see the young that it really kind of takes adapting your eyes again to see the old. Does anybody not see the old ladies in there? Okay. (laughs) Okay. The old ladies... Um, On this one, here's her nose and the chin and the smile. Okay, the old lady. Okay, you see that? Okay. And the other, same thing. Here's her eye and her nose and her chin. Okay. Matter of perception. How do you look at it? What are you seeing? We must train our spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear more than the obvious. Because the chief complaint is rarely the chief complaint. How many of you have ever told your attending, your boss, your whomever, what the patient came in with and what, they, what their complaint was, only to turn around and then go back in with the attending and hear a totally different story? You're thinking, I didn't dream that. Really, I didn't. That's what they said. Okay. The chief complaint is rarely the chief complaint. What we have to do is make a paradigm shift from thinking technologically to holistically, from a focus on disease to a focus, as you said, on the person. From curing to healing and shifting paradigms isn't easy. It involves changing the way you think and changing habits. We have to take a spiritual history and offer to pray with each patient. and That may be challenging. And when I first started praying with patients, I told you when I first graduated from residency, man, I was idealistic and I was going to go conquer and save the world. And then it came to actually trying to figure out how I was going to pray with the patient and what time do I do that? And do I give that before the prescriptions, after the prescriptions, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put a chime in right now for METS. Um, METS is, and there's some flyers. Bob is here. There's some flyers here. METS is a fantastic tool to learn how to incorporate and actually do the practicality of ministering to your patients. Bob, I couldn't fit the slide in there. I couldn't get it exposed over there. But METS is a fantastic way, and they actually do a practicum at the end of their conferences. They also have a um, didactic where you can go and spend a month in a rotation actually with a physician that um, is involved with METS. Fantastic opportunity. But the, the biggest thing I can tell you is when it comes to praying with your patients, just do it. When I first got out, like I said, I thought I was pretty smart and I could figure out the patients that needed prayer. But suddenly I realized I wasn't as smart as the Holy Spirit. I know, deep revelation, huh? (laughs) But I wasn't as smart as the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knew what he was working in their hearts. And Harvey Elder, I don't know if Harvey's here this weekend or not, but Harvey and I had shared a couple times, and one of the things that he learned from me is that at the end, when I do ask somebody, it got to the place that I just asked everybody, may I pray with you? It's very important that you ask. You don't impose that upon anybody. But you ask, may I pray with you? And then I ask, is there anything else I can pray for you? And they just told you, you know, you're 15 minutes worth of stuff, and you just spent that time, but is there anything else? One day, Harvey started adopting this into his practice. And he was busy and so on. It was a matter of an afternoon, and he was running behind, but he asked this lady, and she said, yes, Dr. Elder, there is. And he was ready to go on to the next patient before that. And I said, okay, what is it? My daughter committed suicide last night. He almost rushed past that. What he did, he said, You know, I want to be back with you and I want to spend some time with you. My understanding is that he canceled the rest of his afternoon and came back and spent time ministering to her. But it came that close to missing that opportunity. This often reveals when we take that spiritual history, it reveals the areas of brokenness. It lets the patients know that we're interested in spiritual things and it affords an opportunity for evangelism. And it also fosters a deeper level of intimacy with your patients. Literally, I have patients call me sometimes, leave a message at the office, I need Doc and the staff to pray for such and such. They don't necessarily have an appointment with me, but they know that we're going to pray for them. What a level of intimacy you can have with the patient as they know that you're interested in that aspect for them. Realize that there's a huge difference between being a Christian physician and a physician who happens to be a Christian. Harvey Elder said, and I love this, we are Christians cleverly disguised as physicians. Okay. Don't leave your Christianity at home when you go into the hospital or you go into the office and just think that by being a Christian physician means being nice and being cordial and loving your patients. No, there's so much more than that. He's given us an opportunity. As Christian caregivers, we need to confront our patients' spiritual health as well as their physical health. And we must make a decision to practice more inclusively. So taking a spiritual history, I understand that. Walt Lairmore did this last night. I got in while I was speaking, so I missed it. But we must establish a level of trust first. We must proceed gently and only go as far as the person wishes to go. With Maria, when I asked her, can you tell me about that? And she said, no. Boom, no. Okay. I needed to wait and see if she was going to warm up and foster up to that and allow me to broach that. When she said, no, I needed to respect that. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, the word tells us. He knocks at the door of our hearts. So must we knock on the door of our patients' hearts. Faith is of benefit to health and to recovery from illness. But imposition of our beliefs is unethical and must be avoided. And proselytism is not permissible. I ran a little bit short on time, and, and Walt did this last night, so I'm just going to kind of buzz through this. To take a spiritual history, we take that spiritual history to identify spiritual diseases. In medicine, the history reveals a pathophysiology. And taking the spiritual history, it's to identify where they're broken spiritually. Do they know God is revealed in Christ? Do they believe their life is making it? And can they acknowledge it when they're not making it? So how do you do this, Dr. Sherry? Opening questions. Tell me about your faith. You know, part of, your, part of your past medical history and past social history is, do you ask your patients if they smoke? Sure you do. Do you ask your patients if they drink? Sure. Okay. What are some of the other questions in your typical social history that you take? Anybody, throw them out there. I'm sorry? Okay, I'm talking about just the social history right now. Okay. What are things that you ask in the social history? Marital status. Pardon? Marital status. Marital status. Drug abuse. Drug abuse. Employment? Who lives at home? Lives at home? Okay. Network. Pardon me? Support network. Support network. Okay. That's a good one. A lot of people don't include that. Okay. But if you're asking whether they smoke, whether they drink, whether they're married, whether they're working, why not also ask any church or religious preference? Pretty non-threatening. You're asking right in their social history. Okay. Okay. And then you can tell them, you know, if they say, oh, I used to be a Catholic or oh, I was brought up or I was confirmed or you know, I'm going to the Baptist church or whatever, tell me about your faith, any church or religious preference. Do you find that helpful? Does your faith help you cope with life and with this illness or this situation that you're going through? And then one of the things that I often say is they're telling me about their brokenness. And this does a couple things. I'll let you on an insider line oftentimes the patients are going on and on and you really don't have the time and you have to respect that sometimes right in the middle of their story i'll say so where's god in all of this that kind of stops their rumbling and their diarrhea of the mouth that sometimes they get but it also then suddenly tells us we're going to change and we're going to change directions here so where's god in all of this brokenness where's god It allows me then the opportunity to go in and minister to them and show them where God is in their brokenness. Getting to the real issue. How are things going for you at home, work, and school? I'm going to skip through this altogether. Personal relationship with Christ. This is positive benefit to health. Provides a sense of meaning, purpose, destiny. and give you peace of mind and joy in living. It is ethical to ask about this, but not to push the issue. Avoid churchy terminology. Are you born again, sanctified? Come on, your patients that don't know the Lord don't know that. Talk on their level. If appropriate, share your own spiritual story. Your spiritual story is yours. It's not an argument or an effort to persuade. Last week I was sitting with somebody in my office and had the opportunity to tell them. And I won't tell you all if you want to hear. I'll tell you when we're done because we're running out of time. But I had the opportunity to tell them how God healed me of lupus. You know what? They can't refute that. Their mouth stood, stood there, dropped, because literally I was on death's bed. I had renal frost. I was in renal failure, and I was dying. Friends and family were making arrangements for me that I could stay at home when I died. And instead, God healed me. But that adds a certain amount of credibility. The patient can't argue with you. That's your story. Usually somewhere along the line there's an identification and they realize you're as real as they are. It makes you very real to the one that you're speaking. Should we share? It's not a question of whether we should share. Scripture mandates this. Just look in every one of the Gospels. The Great Commission is in every single Gospel as well as Acts. Okay? Look those verses up. What does it say? Go, 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 tell, tell, tell. You're never going to be effective overseas. For those of you that are planning on going overseas, you're never going to be effective overseas until you can be effective in your own neighborhood, until you can be effective in your own practices. Where does that begin? By being willing to share. Confronting. We tell patients truths because they need to hear them. If you have an alcoholic in your office that their liver enzymes are going crazy, you tell them that they have to stop drinking. Confront them even with their spiritual issues because they need to hear The truth, we earn the right to confront when the patient knows they are loved, accepted, valued, and understood. That relationship has to be there. You have to let them know, I care about you. I wasn't passing judgment on this 16-year-old that sat in my office broken because she would had sex with three young men. I needed to accept her and let her know that I cared about her and loved her first. Then it melted some of that. As clinicians, we have the moral obligation to identify destructive factors in our patients' lives. Are there other things going on in your life that may be contributing to your problem? I'm really concerned that unless you deal with it, it will impact your overall health. These may be physical, emotional, or spiritual issues. Spiritual care is evidence-based. It has a solid, solid basis. There's over 2,000 research articles right now out there that have shown that spiritual care improves patients' health. It must be patient focused. It can bring new life. It can bring healing of heart, soul, and spirit, and in many cases of the body. I want you to realize why you've been saved. That's the grace of God that the, that the world needs, and our patients are seeking. It's the gift the world is dying for, literally dying. Scripture urges us and actually begs us. In 1 Corinthians, they begs us not to receive this gift in vain. So what are you doing with that grace? Are we consumed with the love of Christ such that it compels us to share the gospel with our patients? word says to you, what is your faith accomplishing in the lives of your patients? And are you radically saved? The patients' needs, their need for salvation... Need for hope. How many hopeless patients are in our practices every single day? Need for peace. They wouldn't need their Xanax and their Prozac and their Lexapro if they had the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. They need the wholeness. We need to identify the patient's issues, so we need to listen to what our patients are saying. Fear, anxiety, gloom. Listen for the spiritual and emotional diagnoses. Anger, resentment, bitterness, same list as we had up before. Addictive behavior, sabotaging self, self-pity, hopelessness, passivity. These are important spiritual and personal locators. Helping a person cope with them is part of the spiritual care and absolutely will impact their health. So in making that diagnosis from our conversations, you'll begin to identify spiritual issues and spiritual needs will emerge. Again, I'm running out, so we're just going to kind of... Reveal us What is the person's self-image? Do they have joy, peace, and hope? How are they coping with the consequences? These are just some of the things from the conversations that are going to be um, revealed to you as you listen. The healing word, the rhema word that's going to penetrate the heart, like the word, my daughter, your faith has made you well. It's spoken to the heart, and it's understood by the heart. I could have told Melissa time and time again, Melissa, you're clean. That's okay, you ask forgiveness. But when she saw it in the word and realized that he made her clean and behold, old things have passed away and everything was new, that suddenly made sense to her. It was understood by the heart. And what that does then is resolve the anguish of the heart. Jesus knew how to speak these words and we can too. Prayer, simply always offer to pray. I'm going to skip through that. Before entering prayer, ask, is there anything else specifically that we can pray about? And guys, I just, I implore you to pray with your patience. Take that bold step. This is also a very neat opportunity to evangelize because when they say, yes, I'm ready to pray, you can ask them, do you, obviously you believe in God. Do you also believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yes. Why did he die on the cross? And then have you ever asked him into your heart as your savior? In a matter of five questions, I can get someone that doesn't, they believe in God but don't know Christ. In a matter of five questions, I get them to the place of inviting Christ in their heart if they're ready. Because if you ask someone, can I pray with you? And they say, yes. Well, do you believe in God? Well, obviously, who are we praying to? Okay. And then from there I say, well, obviously you believe in God. Do you also believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross? What did he die on the cross for? And have you ever asked him? If there's ever a stance in any one of those and the need to correct it, I say, can I share something with you? And I have the opportunity. And every week there's patients that get born again in my office. I'm not bragging on me, but the power of God. Now you've done it, now what? Share with them that no one gets to the Father except through the Son. I've got three minutes. Okay. I'm going to skip through some of this. The reality of this is we have increasing evidence that psychosocial and spiritual dynamics influence health and are factors in acute and chronic illnesses. Many of us are aware of this, but we don't practice it simply because a matter of time. problem with Jesus' model, he never had to deal with HMOs. It takes a lot of time to minister health to the triune being, and typically physicians haven't been trained to do this. It takes trained people. Oftentimes physicians are not competent in doing that, But Jesus was competent in all three. None of us are, but the body of Christ is. And the amazing thing with this is that Jesus gave us the opportunity, said we'll have even greater opportunity to do the works that he did. The solution is a team approach. In that team approach, it's medical staff plus people that are in your office or in your ministry that are able to do that. This is a very reproducible model. I've done it overseas in the many countries that I've been to there also, but you simply get people that are trained as pastoral caregivers to minister to that aspect of the patient. The goal is to develop a team approach to provide caring for the whole person in one clinical setting to restore wholeness to the persons and wholeness to healthcare providers. The team, it's a health provider plus a spiritual caregiver plus your intercessors. What do we do to create and sustain an ongoing spiritual ministry to our patients? How to train lay ministers for spiritual multiplication by engaging in biblical principles of wholeness. Who within the medical community? Get your churches involved. Right now, my pastor's wife is one of our lay ministers in the office on Thursday mornings, but it's a ministry team. Why do we do that? To bring wholeness. Where? So we're not disintegrating our patients so we can offer care for them emotionally and spiritually, physically in one place and not say next week I'll send you to the counselor. A team approach that understand the health care providers, understand wholeness, lay caregivers trained in spiritual care, regular consultations between the two, and then removes the line between the physical, psychological, and spiritual care. Bathed in prayer, guys. This is what it looks like. Medical staff and the spiritual caregivers, the nursing staff, administrative staff. And then it circles out beyond that. Religious communities, family, friends, social services with Jesus Christ in the center. Result is improvement or healing of the whole person. Restoration to partial or complete functional wholeness and bringing faith and science back together. And it literally is transforming lives. We are called to work together with Him as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to reconcile the world to Him, and we're urged not to to receive that grace of God in vain. Ministering to our patients, triune being, is going to bring about healing for the heart, mind, soul, and spirit, resulting in lasting transformation. Take-home message: I want you to take a look at this for a second. Look at the four dots in the center. And then I'm going to play a song for you because this is the opportunity that we have every single day for our patients. But once you look at the four circles and the dot for about 30 seconds, and I want you to close your eyes. The take-home message is to learn to see Jesus as he is revealed in each one of our patients. Look at those four circles and close your eyes.